1: We're less than one week away from
0: SEC Media Days in Nashville. Will the media finally pick someone other than Alabama to win the SEC championship? We will get into that today on this installment of SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer, back alongside John Adams. But before we get into SEC Media Days... I'm going to dissect some comments from Brian Kelly. I was down in Baton Rouge late last month to sit down with the Tigers' second-year coach, talk about the state of his program and his outlook on LSU's future. He had some interesting comments on when LSU might be ready to seriously contend for a national championship. So, John, let's start there with LSU and Brian Kelly. The hype is soaring. Some publications, including Athlon, see LSU as a top 10 team. Athlon has LSU at number six in their preseason national poll. Do you feel like LSU is being overhyped, or
1: are those realistic expectations entering Brian Kelly's year two? Blake, I think those are very realistic expectations. So I've been so impressed with what with what Brian Kelly has done since he, since he went from Notre Dame to LSU. Uh, he's recruited well, recruited the state well. He's uh, he's also really done a nice job of complementing the talent he had on his roster with transfers. I think he's been very strategic in what transferred transfers he acquired. And I think it had a lot to do with success uh, last season. He's also, when you look at it's so crucial now. How good are you at quarterback? Well, he's got a Jaden Daniels as a Heisman Trophy candidate. And backup Garrett Nussmeyer would probably be starting for a lot of college teams this season. So everything about what he's done so far, he gets a good A if I were giving out the grades. Yeah, and LSU returns eight starters
0: on offense. They return two of the top quarterbacks in the conference and Jaden Daniels and in Garrett Nussmeyer. And and for many folks, myself included, they're they kind of in that dark horse range for the college football playoff. Have to play Alabama on the road. They open up in a neutral site game against Florida State. Florida State expected to be a preseason top 15 team. But if you you know if you kind of get away from the schedule a little bit and just look at at what teams return, LSU returns a, a lot of talent from a team that uh, won the SEC West last year. Yes, they they lost to Georgia in the SEC Championship. They lost during the regular season to Tennessee and to Texas A&M, but they won the West. They beat Alabama last year, and so they are the reigning West champions. and And I do think I agree with you. I, I think they. The expectations are realistic. I think the playoff hopes are within reason for LSU. And that's why I asked Brian Kelly, you know, at what point can LSU seriously contend for a national championship? Let's listen to what he had to say in response to that. what point do you feel like this program will be ready to contend seriously for a national championship? We need another year of recruiting.
1: One more really good year on both sides of the ball um, I think puts us in a position where
0: I think year three, the consistency piece, the depth of our program, uh, the messaging, all the things that we do on a day-to-day basis puts us in a position to compete for a championship. This year will be year two. Uh, The foundation uh, is in place. Um, I think there's really good confidence within the group. Uh, We've
1: got good players. There's some holes. There's a little air coming out of the tire here and there. I think we've kind of
0: patched most of it. But I think year three is, is probably the year where I'll feel, in terms of building a program, where we've had enough time to really put the pieces together. So you heard there, John, that he's basically saying 2024 is the year. He says year three... Is the consistency piece, the depth of the program, everything should be in place by year three um, to contend for a national championship. Now, he's not really downplaying his team this year. He's saying he's got the foundation in place. There's a lot of confidence in this group. But I think if you read in between the lines here, you see he might still have concerns about depth. This is a program that when he took over, it had just 39 scholarship players playing in that bowl game at the end of, of the, uh, of the 2021 season. And he's had to rely a lot on the portal here through a year and a half. But what do you think? Do you, do you see this as Brian Kelly trying to downplay expectations? Do you see this as him preaching patience? Is this trying to get kind of a target off of LSU's back? What do you, what do you think when you hear him talking about year three being the year where LSU can seriously contend for a title?
1: Uh, it's hard to take coaches at face value. A lot of times, you're always wondering about their motives or what are they, what do they actually mean by that? What impression are they trying to, trying to make? But I look at that as pretty much uh, uh, at face value. I think that's a realistic assumption. Yeah, he might contend for a playoff berth this year. I don't think that's uh, an impossibility. Uh, but I thought it was significant that he would actually pinpoint a date and a season. And so coaches don't like doing that. They speak in generalities, uh, when they're hyping their team, they can be very, very praiseworthy, but it's kind of a general and it's always accompanied by a, but, but these things might not work out. We don't know what will happen at this position or that position. So there's some things, uh, in flux there, but no, I thought it was, I thought it was significant that he pinpointed date said, Hey, we're going to. Yeah, and that's when Oklahoma and Texas come into the league. So things are going to get tougher. And I thought it was very consistent with his message that he has made ever since he became the head coach at LSU. It's kind of we're not backing down from anybody. We aspire to the very loftiest of goals. We want to win a national championship. Went to the playoff at Notre Dame, but I came to LSU because I think I could have a better chance of winning a national championship I agree with him. I know you do too. So to me, that's very consistent with what he's doing. I think he's been very aggressive in his approach. And and you hit on that in an excellent column you did from your interview with him. When you went in depth with his decision making and what all went into that, his his choice of going for a two-point conversion to beat Alabama as opposed to kicking the extra point, as most coaches would have done and sending the game into overtime. He had a good play. He really liked it. He'd run it before with success. That's what he was going for. But this speaks to the aggressiveness of his approach and a confident approach. We're going for the win. We're going for the national championship. So I kind of thought... Uh, that was very indicative of what he's been saying when he said 24, we, we should go for it all.
0: Yeah. Thanks for the column plug, John. Sure. Anytime. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> listeners yeah. can, yeah, <laughs> listeners can find the column. It's, it's hyperlinked in the podcast description on your podcast apps. Also, if you go to usatoday.com and search, uh, put Brian Kelly into the search bar should be the top story that that pops up there and and you can read. Uh, Brian Kelly's comments from my conversation with him late last month. But, like you, John, I thought it was interesting that he identified a year. Most coaches, if asked this question, when can you seriously contend for a national championship? they're going to give you some cliche answer of, well, you know, that's not the way we look at it. We just try to get better day by day, you know, be better tomorrow than we are today, that Uh type of stuff. But no, I, I mean, Brian Kelly kind of met this head on, and, and some LSU fans' response to his comment was, well, why not this year? And <laughs> sure, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're going to, LSU is going to try to contend for a national championship this year. But I do think it's important. My question was, when can they seriously contend for a national championship and not seriously contend for a playoff berth? Brian Kelly's answer may have been different if I said playoff berth, he might have said this year. Um, so while some fans, I think we're kind of hoping he would have said this year in, in response to the national championship. I, like you, was more interested by the fact that he answered it all, that that he gave a timeline. But it sort of matches up with what the history has been at LSU. If you look back at it, Ed Ogeron won a national title in his third full season on the job. Les Miles won a national title in, in year three. Nick Saban won a national title in year four. So if you look at the past few coaches, whether Brian Kelly says it or not, he has to know that given his contract, given LSU's history, given his pedigree as a coach, yes, by year three, uh, I think that fan base, that administration is is going to expect LSU to seriously contend for a title. And so you know, I don't want to speak for Brian Kelly, but to me, the way I look at this is why not say it? Why not, Admit what we all know to be true, that by year three, he's going to be expected to contend for a national championship. And it sort of matches, um, to your point, John, with with sort of the mentality he's had since he's been there. He's been saying they want to play Alabama every year, even after the conference expands. They want to play the toughest teams in the conference. Uh, And if you look at where that nine-game schedule is, is headed for LSU, if it eventually gets approved... Their rivals are slated to be Alabama, Texas A&M, and Ole Miss. That's a pretty tough collection of rivals, and Brian Kelly has has not complained about that. I think he's here because he thinks he can win a national championship at LSU. He has the resources. I think he believes in his coaching ability. And if year one and this offseason are any indication, I think LSU is on the right path.
1: Yeah, I don't think it, at LSU with the success it's had. Uh, when LSU's been good, it's been really good. And with that kind of success, there's it's really pointless to go in and say, "Well, we're we want to we want to build towards success. We want to challenge Alabama, and uh, we eventually expect to do that." But no, you're expected to do that right now, and and. Even though he's talking about, yeah, 24 could be our year, 22, his first season on the job, with all the disadvantages, that was really kind of his year too because it was a considerable upgrade over what Ed Orgeron had done. And and you pointed it out, uh, the attrition on the roster, this was a very depleted roster. And, And that's why I was so impressed with, yeah, LSU can go to the portal. Sure, everybody goes to the portable portal. But I thought he did a really nice job of pinpointing where he needed to go. What were the weaknesses on this team? And I thought he did a really nice job of uh, improving those positions where there was uh, a shortcoming. So I think LSU fans shouldn't be worried that that he's not predicting a national title this year. I think they should be, and I think for the most part they are, the fans. I, I think they should really be embracing the idea that he's not backing away from anything. He's not He's not saying, hey, we hope to challenge the best teams in this league. He's pretty much sending a message that we're going to be one of the best teams in this league. Doesn't mean we'll win a national championship every year, but we're going to be right there. I mean, hey, I beat Alabama last year. With a depleted roster. What I, I don't need to say anymore to uh back up the confidence I have.
0: You know, one more thing, this this comment tells me, John, is that Brian Kelly believes in his backup quarterback, Garrett Nussmeyer. Because if he's got 2024 circled, year three circled, as the year they can seriously contend for the national championship, well, this is LSU's final year with Jaden Daniels. And we know Brian Kelly believes in Jaden Daniels. This this is not to say otherwise. Uh, he's been very complimentary of him, particularly the way he developed from week one to the end of last season. And and I mean, the proof is in the production. All you got to do is, is look at the way Jaden Daniels played throughout the course of last season to see uh, the way he grew a, as a quarterback. Um, however, this is the final year of LSU with Jaden Daniels. And then they will have conceivably two years with Garrett Nussmeyer in line to be the starting quarterback. And, you know, this tells me that that Brian Kelly believes in both of those guys and why not? I mean, we saw what what Garrett Nussmeyer did at the end of the season coming off the bench against Georgia, put up some big numbers in that SEC championship loss. He did it again, uh, splitting time with Jaden Daniels in the bowl game against Purdue. And I don't look for, for LSU to play a true quarter, a true two quarterback system this year, I think Jaden Daniels is going to be the guy as long as he's healthy and productive, and Nussmeyer will will fill that backup role. But if there's a game or two where Jaden Daniels struggles, I would look for Nussmeyer to get a shot. I mean, he he showed that, uh, that this this depth chart sort of a one a one b situation. He's that good as a backup, and and he'll be in line to be the starting quarterback. You know, in 2024
1: yeah I, I th- that's a really good point about the backup quarterback and uh i, I think another uh, one thing we don't i don't hear too much about with uh brian kelly he is an offensive-minded coach he that's where he as an assistant he was on the offensive side of the ball but you don't hear a lot about him as being an offensive guru or, or it's like you know, watch out for his offense as a dynamic play caller, that kind of You don't really hear that. And I, and I thought that was something that was brought out uh, in your column you did on the Alabama victory and the two point conversion. This guy's a pretty good offensive coach. And his history, their history reflects that. He didn't have the playmakers in Notre Dame consistently that he will have at LSU, I don't think. But that's one thing that when I look at that roster this year, when you've got a receiver like Malik Neighbors and and you've got a quarterback like Jaden Daniels, I mean, Brian Kelly knew what he wanted in a quarterback to run this offense because he had guys on the roster and he goes out and gets Jaden Daniels as a transfer because he knew he fit what he wanted to do and Jaden Daniels exceeded expectations in my mind. I didn't think he'd be that good. He's a better passer than I I thought I was thought, I thought he would be when I saw him at at Arizona State. So, it just got a lot of he's got a lot of things going for him and and that backup quarterback situation is so crucial. It's hard to develop depth down the transfer era with quarterbacks. But he's got a guy, like I said earlier, that could start for a lot of teams. And If something happens to Jaden Daniels, whom you'll ask not to just drive back in the pocket and throw, but also run on design running plays, I think it's uh, it really contributes to comfort on that staff to know that you have somebody like Nussmar waiting in the wings. John, I want to return to
0: LSU a little bit later in the pod, and we'll loop Alabama into the conversation at that point and how the media that cover the SEC, how we think they might vote in their predicted order of finish for the conference that will be unveiled next week during Media Days. But before we talk about that, I want to dive into Media Days a little bit because we're going to hear from a couple new coaches in Nashville next week. Zach Arnett, first year coach at Mississippi State, was formerly the defensive coordinator. We'll hear from him from the first time at this event And then Auburn's Hugh Freeze, we've heard from him before at SEC Media Days, uh, but this will be his first time representing Auburn. And then, of course, all the other coaches will be there as well. Now, the impact of this event on your season, uh, let's be honest, is probably nothing. Uh, I, I, I don't think that anything you say in July is going to affect the results September, through November. So let's let's throw that caveat out there. But with that in mind, you can a little bit anyway affect your image as a coach, I think, by how you how you speak, how you captivate attention, the type of publicity you generate during your 30 minutes in the main room that is televised on SEC network. So when you look at this lineup, John, which SEC coaches maybe have the best chance of sort of uh, improving improving the way that, uh, that folks look at them, improving their image, uh, giving themselves a boost? Who, who's got the best chance to um, kind of polish their image in Nashville next week?
1: Well, I'll start by continuing on the Brian Kelly theme. For, this, for some of the same things we've been saying, when he's in a, a large media forum, he can again convey the message that, you know, we're not just some up and comer. We're we're a force now, force to be reckoned with. We'll compete for championship. Uh, never mind if I designated twenty four as the year. Every year we're going to be in the mix, and you've got to deal with us. Uh, I came to here. L- I went to LSU for a reason. I wanted to win a national championship. It wasn't a secret. So. I think the fact that Brian Kelly—I think a lot of people used to think when when they saw Brian Kelly on the sidelines at, at Notre Dame he was pretty much a jerk, and a lot of coaches are. So that was kind of an easy assessment. I, I thought as much, but uh, since I've heard him more at LSU and I've talked to people who deal with him uh, in the media, deal with him regularly, they seem to like him. He's been he's been approachable, he's been accessible, and he's. Uh, He's he's been informative with the media. Some coaches, you can talk to him for thirty minutes and walk away and said, "What can I quote out of that? <laughs> Is there one meaningful quote that Mike could contribute to the story? No, but I think he's. I, I've talked to guys who've interviewed him as uh, from the from the Baton Rouge media who are covering the team day to day, and they like what he's done. So I think this will he be another opportunity for him to enhance his image. And I'm sure he's taken advantage of that. Another guy would be Zach Arnett at Mississippi state. First year coach succeeded the late Mike Leach, uh, uh, such a, uh, prominent high profile figure in college football for so many years, such a different personality than what we saw as a football coach. I think Zach Arnett is more of a throwback and goes back to the, uh, Uh, image you have of coaches of years ago or decades ago even. And uh, I think it would give him a chance to show what his personality looks like. Uh, We know he's a really good defensive coach.
0: And I I sat down with Arnett recently in in Starkville, and um, I'd spoken with him one-on-one once before, but this was the kind of the longest uh, audience I I had with him. and, And he comes across... You know, very likable. I think Mississippi State fans. Well, they're they're obviously familiar with him as being their defensive coordinator. But even though Zach Arnett is from New Mexico, you know he's he's not a born and bred Mississippian. Like his personality just fits that program, I think to a T. And although Mike Leach, you know, really um, won over that that fan base, and you know certainly that that fan base uh, and and others in, in the college football community were, were crushed by crushed by the, the loss of, of Mike Leach this winter. I, I actually think the personality wise, I, I think Arnett probably fits Mississippi state better than Mike Leach does. Uh, I mean, Zach Arnett is kind of that blue collar, bring your lunch pail to work. Uh, you know, doesn't throw around the fancy phrases and the coaching cliches type of guy. And I, I think that resonates with that program. I think it resonates with that fan base. I don't think he's going to necessarily charm the charm, the room in Nashville next week. Uh, he's not going to come out there. I don't think with a, you know, a bunch of one-liners and zingers on the main stage, I think he'll be pretty much business-like, but, uh, but pretty likable. That That's the way I've, I've found him. Of course, it doesn't really matter. You got to win on the field, uh, but I do think that he'll, he'll get mostly good marks from, from the media because, uh, like I said, it, it's hard to to hear him
1: and be around him and, and not come away with a decent feeling from the guy. Well, one thing worth noting, it, it really doesn't make a much of an, imp- it doesn't matter a great deal in terms of how your season goes as to what kind of impression you make on, on the media days. It, it's a, but don't think of these, these coaches as speaking to the media. They're also speaking to their fans and to recruits through the media, through, through this platform. And that's a great point you made about him fitting the, the position at Mississippi State better than Mike Leach did. But Mike Leach had a kind of a personality. It's un, it was an unusual personality. but He really could fit in almost anywhere because there was a – he was so different from most coaches that that in itself was attractive. Zach Garnett, when I think about Mississippi football, all the years I've been following SEC football, there's been a consistency about Mississippi State. Never mind if Mike Leach ran an air raid offense where you might throw the ball 60 times. You still came away from Mississippi State football thinking hard-nosed, just tough physical team because in this case it was the defense. and Maybe the offense was – Uh, certainly more finesse. But the defense, Mississippi State would play hard. And Mississippi State always has some pretty good players. They might not make all SEC, but you look up one day and they've been in the NFL 10 years. They always, we talk about this being a league, well, we talk about a a sport of winning in the trenches. Well, Mississippi State always has some good linemen, both sides of the ball. And, And so I think you're right. I think... He fits that mold uh, from all places, of course, uh, New Mexico, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, not certainly nowhere near the SEC. But but I think Mississippi State fans will embrace him. And we know he's a good defensive coach. So, yeah, I think he'll use his time. I think people will come away from this liking Zach Arnett probably.
0: Yeah, one thing I asked Zach Arnett, we we, we got into some random topics when I was sitting down with him. In in June, and one thing I asked him, uh, just kind of off the wall, was uh, after a big victory, what are you sipping on that night to celebrate a, a big win? And his answer was was bourbon, specifically he likes Wild Turkey One Hundred One bourbon. Well, you you could find a lot of Mississippi State football fans, I think, that like to enjoy that like to celebrate a victory by sipping on Wild Turkey One Hundred One. <laughs> Uh well, so yeah. and, and it, it wasn't put on either like I, I you know i really believed in that that probably is what he likes to drink after after a victory and and like i said i think a lot of mississippi state fans uh, would be right there alongside him drinking some wild turkey 101 but but
1: blake even if he didn't like uh he didn't like bourbon as an sec coach i think a lot of guys who didn't had never even tasted bourbon would say <laughs> yeah probably bourbon I mean, it just kind of fits the the SEC image, the SEC mindset. So that was a good answer. But uh yeah, it's good to know that it's uh genuine. He probably won over a few fans right there. Probably did. Speaking of winning over fans,
0: John, how about Hugh Freeze and and his first you know big appearance as as Auburn's coach? Of course, he's met with the, the local press. You know multiple times since becoming the coach, but this is sort of for a for a new coach, and, and Hugh Freeze is a familiar face, but in a new role. for a new coach, Media Days is sort of that uh, kind of the coming out party that's you got all the leagues assembled media there in, in one place and, and national media as well. We know Hugh Freeze can kind of charm a room, shake the hands, kiss the babies, that type of thing. What sort of message do you expect him to put forward? Uh, He speaks on Tuesday
1: in Nashville. I don't think Hugh Freeze, and and he's a comeback story because things went off off course at Ole Miss, and and that's kind of old news now. But he did a good job there, Uh, won a lot of games and beat Alabama and Nick Saban twice. Not many people can can say that. Um, But he just seems like a perfect fit for Auburn. And yes, he can charm the room, and almost anything he says, you can't help but compare to what came before. I mean, Brian Harson—did he charm anybody in media days? He surely did not. No, I know he didn't charm you. I thought. Uh, but he—he just—he just did that. Wasn't Brian Harson? He didn't have that. So oftentimes when you. You rid yourself of one coach. What that coach lacked, you look for in the next coach. So now you bring in Hugh Freeze, who's Southern, who sounds Southern, who acts Southern, and who can really connect with the Auburn fan base, which Brian Harson struggled to do. So I think it's a great opportunity for him to just uh, – this, this won't be a challenge. He can just be himself. And uh, I, as you said, he was, he's already met with the Auburn media, and I think fans are, are happy with this hire. So he's got to do it on the field, but he's got all the credentials. He This is an offensive-minded era. He's an offensive coach. And I think he can kind of – I think for him on a media platform in Nashville, I think. All he really needs to do is remind people what he's done and where his roots are, and that will that will speak volumes.
0: Yeah, if I had to predict the so-called winners and losers of of Media Days, which is really kind of a, a joke storyline, but <laughs> if I'm in, if I'm going to engage with this joke storyline, I would predict that that Hugh Freeze would would be among the winners. Of, of media days the question is how much can Auburn win on the field this year and I remain skeptical of that John the the, the, the very little news that comes out of media days and there's not much you know you get some quotes, some headlines mm-hmm. some some clips that are shared on the SEC network and on social media but not much news is is usually made but the, the news that does come in so much as it is news is the media's predicted order of finish for the conference and the preseason media all-conference teams. When it comes to the predicted order of finish, I think it's going to be interesting both at the top and the bottom of the SEC West. And I want to get to the top in a moment, but we'll start with the bottom first. Because I think you could make a case, and I haven't decided my ballot yet, but as I think about it, about a week out from, from that ballot being due, I'm considering putting Auburn at the bottom of the SEC West. Now, I put him at the bottom of the SEC West last year. And, yes, Auburn had a bad season. Brian Harson was fired. We know that story. Hugh Freeze has brought in a plethora of transfers to address the holes in this roster. And yet, I think Auburn still got question marks quarterback. They, they did try to address that through the transfer portal by adding Michigan State, former starting quarterback, Peyton Thorne. But there's, they're going to be so reliant on transfers, and I don't know that they added the type of top-end transfer talent that can overhaul the roster in one year. I'm tempted to put Auburn at the bottom of the West. A, a couple swing, important swing games for Auburn. Uh, they host Ole Miss at home. They host Mississippi State following week. Th- those two games, to me, I think, will be crucial to Auburn remaining out of the out of the cellar in the West this year. One other thing to note about their schedule: they get Vanderbilt as their second team from the East as the, as a crossover opponent, in addition to their annual date with Georgia. And so that's advantageous that you know, of all the other teams you could get in the East, you'd want Vanderbilt. What, what's your thinking on that, John, as As you think, we'll get to the top of the, the West in a moment, but as you think about the bottom of the West, are you tempted to go with Auburn down there, or, or would you go a different direction?
1: Well, I mean, Auburn would definitely be in my bottom too. Um, I, I think you brought up two points. Uh, one, it plays Vanderbilt from the East. And in a second, it plays Mississippi State at Auburn. To me, it's between Auburn and Mississippi State for last. And I think Auburn has a great home field advantage. And I think that advantage will be magnified with the new coach, the enthusiasm that that brings. Um, I think Mississippi State, it, it's going to a different offense. Now, I read that, yes, they will retain some of the Air Raid principles. And they have a proven quarterback, Will Rogers, in the air raid system, I think it's going to be a dr- dramatic overhaul offensively, just a mindset. And I know Zach Arnett's a good defensive coach, but that could nullify, nullify the quarterback advantage it seemingly has over Auburn. I don't know how Will Rogers will fit a more conventional offense. This is pretty, the air raid was pretty much what he ran in high school. Now I look at Auburn and and certainly the, the quarterback situation scares me, but Hugh Freeze has been really good at quarterbacks. And anytime you get, if you're a West team and you get Vanderbilt as your East one of your two East opponents, you got to feel good about that. That that's like a bonus. So I I think Auburn can finish. Six. I don't think he can finish higher than six because it's still, you know how it goes in in, in this in this conference, Blake once you get down it's not as though somebody's going to reach down and say hey let's give uh let's give auburn a helping hand it's down we want to make the conference stronger overall Let's see if we can help lift them up no they want to step on your neck and make sure you stay down it's hard to come back up when you're down and i think that's a challenge auburn faces
0: now at the top of the west John, it's going to come down to really two choices. It's The media is either going to pick Alabama or LSU to win the West. Alabama has been the media's pick to win the SEC in seven straight years. Not just the West. The media has picked Alabama to win the conference overall seven years in a row. Alabama has won the conference in four of those seven Years, But the, the media loves picking Alabama. Normally, that's a pretty safe pick, uh, both to win the West and uh, to win the conference. Now, I would fully expect the media this year to pick Georgia to win the SEC and in that streak of, of the media picking Alabama to win the conference. However, what about the West? John, who do you think will be the media's pick to win the West? Do you think that they'll, they'll change gears. And and we have, I say, they, we're we're among the media. I I think I I plan to vote LSU atop the West. Sounds like from, from your comments on LSU, you would as well, but we're, but two members of the, of the media. And we know hundreds of media members get a ballot for media days. So which direction do you think the media will go? LSU or Alabama atop the West?
1: Well, I'm on board with your pick. I mean, I, I, I would definitely favor LSU, but I think the media, keep in mind there are a lot of media that go to, go to event, this event and, and vote that are from Alabama. So that's one positive, and, and just out of habit, Nick Saban, Alabama, the dominant program in college football. Uh, Georgia has surpassed Alabama the last two years. It's the program right now, but in the West, I value quarterback play more than ever seems like every year I value that more than ever. And uh, the difference in Jaden Daniels at LSU and Jalen Milrow, whom I think will be the quarterback at Alabama, is substantial. Uh, Also, when I look at Alabama, usually when I look at Alabama's depth chart, stars just kind of jump out at you. Uh, usually quarterback. You look at the last six or seven years, quarterback, running back, wide receiver. No one at those positions really jumps out at me right now. And uh, LSU certainly has a better quarterback. And in Malik neighbors, it has a better receiver. And again, going with star power alone, I don't think Alabama has a linebacker. And this is a school that uh, perpetually turns out great linebackers. It doesn't have a linebacker, the equal of Harold Perkins at LSU. I'm just talking about three players, but that kind of gives you idea. It, LSU has the kind of players that in a close game against really good nationally ranked teams. It has the kind of players that can decide that game in the fourth quarter. So I like LSU, but I think Alabama will again be voted number one in the West.
0: Yeah, and, and even if Tyler Buckner wins the the quarterback competition at, at Alabama, the the Notre Dame transfer, that doesn't really change. At least for the two of us, that doesn't really change our opinion on on the difference in quarterback situation between LSU and Alabama. I mean, if you look at the the one two in the depth chart collectively, you know, at Alabama, it's it's probably some order of Buckner and Jalen Milrow, who you mentioned at LSU, it's Jaden Daniels and Garrett Nussmeyer. I mean either of those top two guys at LSU would would probably be the starting quarterback at Alabama. So I do think LSU has an undeniable quarterback advantage. You mentioned some of the other positional advantages they have. Alabama maybe has a little bit of a depth advantage, uh, but some of that depth is is youthful. The one thing that if there's one thing that gives me pause and I think it will give a lot of members of the media pause and and may encourage enough votes that Alabama's picked to win the West is that game will be at Bryant Denny stadium. And if you look at Alabama's track record at home during the Nick Saban tenure, they've been almost unbeatable at in home games. They've, they've lost just seven total home sec games in Nick Saban's tenure dating back to that first season at Alabama in 2007. I mean, that's just, it's remarkable they they have not lost a conference game at home since 2019 when LSU went undefeated, won the national championship. So you know it can be done. They they do occasionally lose a home a home game, but it's it's pretty rare. And so if there is some pause and and an argument to pick Alabama, I think that's just it. Is is that the head to head will be played in in Tuscaloosa?
1: Yeah, that's. Uh certainly that's a tremendous home field advantage, but uh, I just think LSU is the kind of program that uh, it's won enough. It's not like Brian Denny stadium will be a, a, a foreign venue to the veteran players on this team. And these guys have been in t- hey, Alabama is the only tough place to play in the sec. Uh, Auburn is a tough place to play. Tennessee is a tough place. Florida is a tough place. Georgia, Georgia, Texas A&M, on and on. So it's kind of like – I think a great home field advantage for just a one Saturday deal was if you showed up and there were about 500 people in the stands because the, the visiting team would be like, well, what happened? What What's going on here? Silence? Nobody cares? It, it would just be so typical of an SEC game. So that's certainly an advantage, but I think it's one LSU could overcome – I would rather have an advantage at quarterback than at a venue.
0: Yeah, and I mentioned how good Alabama's been at home while Saban's been there, John. But three, I believe three of those home losses during Saban's tenure have been to LSU. So if there is a team to get them in Tuscaloosa, LSU is the likeliest choice. So that's sort of the the counter argument uh, to, to that home field advantage deal How about the East John? I mean of course Georgia is going to be picked to win the East. I'd be stunned if they're not picked to win the conference even though the media normally goes with Alabama back-to-back national championships is going to sway the vote to Georgia. I don't think I, I think it would be very surprising if anybody other than Tennessee is in that number two position in the East and I think we have a pretty good idea who's going to round out the voting in the East. It'll be Vanderbilt at seven. How about that three through six range? Do you think there's much mystery in that pecking order, or do you see it being pretty clear cut?
1: Well, I, I'm just thinking about that. Uh, I don't think it's clear cut at all. I, I just, it's hard to distinguish between those teams. When I look at you're talking about four teams South Carolina, Missouri, Kentucky, and Florida. I'm really down on Florida right now. I don't, again, go, I go back to quarterbacks. I, nobody uh, throws a, has a parade or throws a party when it signs a quarter transfer quarterback from Wisconsin. Uh, that's never happened. Uh, and and that's what Florida is going with Graham Mertz. Uh, I like South Carolina because of its quarterback. If I'm picking a number three team at South Carolina because of Spencer Rattler. And I think I would I think I would go Florida 6. I mean we
0: talk about like you know big name programs that I would be tempted to put near the bottom of my ballot. I said I'm I haven't decided yet, but I'd be tempted uh-huh. to go Auburn 7 in the West, last yeah. in the West. I'd be uh-huh. tempted to go Florida 6th in the East. I agree with you, South Carolina 3rd in the East. It's interesting. You know, I think Shane Beamer he works a a big room like this at media days very well. He's comfortable in this setting. And because of the way South Carolina finished the season, their final two games before it got to the bowl where they lost to Notre Dame in a close bowl game. But before that they beat Tennessee, spoiled the balls playoff hopes. They beat Clemson on the road. Um, And that sort of papered over the fact that South Carolina last year also lost, to missouri they got drilled by florida in the swamp but i don't think that's going to be on the minds of of reporters in the room next week in nashville if there's games lingering in the brain it's going to be the tennessee and clemson games that came after uh those embarrassing losses And, and so you know i look for shane beamer to be a guy to kind of work the stump pretty effectively and to drum up some more hype for his program and and ultimately i think that that results in South Carolina being the clear-cut you know, third-place pick in the East. The, the one I might have the hardest time distinguishing between, John, is probably Kentucky and Missouri. I think I would give the edge to Kentucky from the quarterback debate because it, you know, they added Devin Leary, the North Carolina State transfer, and I go back to what Devin Leary did when he was healthy in 2021 – before dealing with an injury uh, in 2022, and he saw his production decrease. But if if Devin Leary can regain something of that 2021 form, I I think I'd probably like Kentucky in the four spot ahead of Missouri.
1: Yeah, see, I like Kentucky better uh, than Missouri. I would have Kentucky four, and I would probably go Florida five. I don't like Missouri. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I would have Missouri six uh, and then Vanderbilt seven. So very, we have very similar, we would have a very similar ballot. It's just pretty much how we, how we view um, Florida, Kentucky and Missouri, I guess that's pretty much it. Um, Does it change uh, your
0: mind at all? The fact that Missouri hosts Florida, John, does that that menacing environment at Faroe field and, in mid-November, they're, they're going to be hosting the Gators. That Does that give you any sway to think uh, you're going to go with Missouri in the end ahead of Florida, or no, nah, you're still taking the Gators fifth?
1: I think with all, the, uh, the, all that goes on with Florida football and all the attention it gets, I think at that point in the season, the way I expect Florida seasons to go, I think Florida players will welcome a road trip. Hmm. So, and, and Missouri, I don't think I might be wrong on this. You, you're more familiar with that setting than I am, but, uh, I never thought of it as intimidating. That word didn't come to mind when opposing teams came into for field. It just never struck me that way. Yeah. I'm just so down on the Gators.
0: I would, I would give the edge to Missouri well, and I, I know we both are, so we're kind of splitting hairs here.
1: Yeah, but. we really are because I. Well, I'll say this. And I, I'm not and I'm not even sure Brady Cook will be the quarterback. They who did drawing a blank on the Missouri signed a transfer from
0: Yeah, they got uh, Jake Garcia from Miami. From Miami. Yeah, yeah, and they also have the uh the red shirt yeah freshman who guy uh, who, that plays
1: who, baseball, Sam yes. Horn. Yeah. Sam Horn, yes, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I, I still think Brady Cook was a better player last season than I thought he would be. And if I had to pick a quarterback, my job's on the line, and you can have either Brady Cook or Graham Mertz, I think I'd go with Brady Cook. Is that crazy?
0: I think you're talking yourself into the Tigers fifth in the East. That's what I'm hearing, John.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not. No, I'm just saying Vanderbilt belongs – I mean, uh, Missouri belongs ahead of Vanderbilt is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair
0: enough. Well, John and I will have commentary throughout SEC Media Days next week. It's a four-day affair. It begins on on Monday. uh, And we will be back with you to discuss here on SEC Football Unfiltered. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh,
1: human remains that are left.